We are in the middle of a series called You Asked For It, and it, are, it is a, gr- a list of questions that many people, whether they are Christian, non-Christian, spiritual explorer, maybe they're super strong in the faith, maybe they're wavering in their Christian faith, but questions that people ask about God, about the church, about the faith, uh, questions that when it comes to mind, uh, they're wondering if they're Wondering if I don't get an answer to this question, I don't know if I can trust God any deeper than I do right now. I really need to find out the answer to the question. And we, we've come up with some good ones. Last week, our youth pastor, youth Sander, Luke Sanders, um, youth Sanders, he is a youth uh, to, from my perspective. Luke did a great message uh, called, If God is a Loving God then what about all the suffering and evil that's in the world today? If you weren't here and you missed that message, it is on our website at sebchristian.com. You can listen to it if you're on your computer. You can, there's a a way to download the podcast onto your smartphone. You can take that with you during the week or any of the messages that we have. Uh, Gene Neighbor is so great about uh, putting them all up there for us. Thank you, Gene, wherever you are. We really appreciate your service to this church. So we've come now to week number four, and the question for today is, what about someone who walks away from the faith? Uh, Many of you guys know a popular Christian speaker. He was super popular in the 1980s and the 1990s. I remember one of his questions was, would Jesus drive a BMW? (laughs) That was a question in the 1980s, and uh, his name is Tony Campolo. Tony Campolo is a great evangelical speaker. He's inspirational. He's the guy that came up with that message. Uh, do you remember? Uh, it's Friday, but Sundays are coming. You guys, some of you guys will remember that. Uh, it's Friday. Jesus is in the grave. Satan is dancing on the tomb. But it's Friday, but Sundays are coming. You know, and he, and he just built that theme. It was awesome. Uh, That's the great news about Tony Campolo. Unfortunately, I have some sad news about Tony Campolo and about his family. And I found this out not too long ago. I had heard some weeks ago or some months ago, somebody uh, had spread a rumor out there, hey, Tony Campolo's not a Christian anymore. Tony Campolo's left the Christian faith. And I'm like, what? Tony Campolo, there's no way that guy would leave the Christian faith. Are you kidding me? Well, I found out the truth. They sort of had the rumor right, but it wasn't Tony Campolo who walked away from the Christian faith. It was Tony Campolo's son named Bart. Bart Campolo, of course, was raised in a Christian family, raised by this Christian father and mother. Uh, The the mother had this great answer uh, because she was a homemaker. And there was, you know, she, she wanted to overcome this stigma like, when she'd be out in these social circles and some of these women, you know, they'd be professionals out in the business world and she was a homemaker. So she said something like, I'm, I'm raising two homo sapiens to be world changers. And she, she said it much more uh, elaboratively and articulately than that. But it, basically she says, I'm about an important work of business. And I guess Bart was one of her sons. But apparently a number of years ago, Bart Campolo decided that he no longer believed the Christian faith. And I'm, I'm sure it's broken his father's heart. In fact, there is a movie coming out or a documentary of this where Tony and his son Bart are having this dialogue. And Tony is trying to say, help me understand what happened to you, you know, where you lost it in the faith. So even in these great Christian families who have 
powerhouse Christian believers and speakers and, and ambassadors for Christ in this world today, like Tony Campolo, it can happen even in his family. What about someone who walks away from the Christian faith? Before we get any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, we want you to speak to our hearts today. Lord, we are here. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak forth your truth. Lord, let your words be powerful. They are living and active. I pray for the uh, filling of your Holy Spirit as I speak today with clarity and with passion. Lord, may you drive your truth uh, deep into our hearts. May we believe it. May we understand it. May we embrace it. And may we live it out for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. What about someone who walks away from the faith? You know, there's that graphic of somebody, say, walking out of a church door. Maybe they'll come back someday. Maybe they won't. That's what we really don't know about. Uh, some of you today may have family members who have walked away from the faith. Maybe they used to be active in church. Maybe they came every Sunday to a worship service, and now they don't seem to go to any church at all. And you're wondering, you know, where are they? In their walk with God, where are they in their Christian faith? And what is God going to do with somebody who has walked away from him? Uh, will they come back? Will they not? Um, some related questions about someone who walks away from the faith. There's a number of these sub-questions. Uh, for, for instance, can a person lose his or her salvation? If they were in Christ, can they be out of Christ uh, once they're in Christ, are they always in Christ no matter what? Or if they opted in, could they opt out? Um, another related question is, what is the unforgivable sin? Maybe somebody out there has committed this sin that, you know, God will forgive almost every sin, but not this sin. And if, have they committed the unforgivable sin? What about, it, was the person ever really a true Christian in the first place? You know, a lot of people believe that. Oh, if they walked away from the church or they walked away from the faith, they never really were a true believer to begin with. Uh, some people believe that. Uh, if a person opts in the Christian faith, as I said before, can they opt out? If you make a decision to follow Christ, can you make a decision not to follow Christ? And then finally, uh, will they have time? You know, you've heard of these deathbed confessions, right? These deathbed conversions where at the last minute somebody turns back to God in faith. Will God allow them time if they were in a sudden accident or they have a, a, an illness or if they have a brain aneurysm or their aorta blows up like uh, John Ritter, like what happened to him? Uh, will they have time to repent and confess and get back right with God before they die? What are we to do with somebody who walks away from the Christian faith? You know, it doesn't really matter if you've been a pastor for decades and you've watched dozens of people walk away. I've watched a few people walk away from the faith in my lifetime. Or even if you're new in the ministry or you're new in the church and it's happened only to a handful of people or maybe you're not even aware of anybody who's fallen away from the faith. I imagine that it's something that you never really get used to and perhaps Perhaps as we get older and our joy to see the Lord Jesus face to face, as that joy increases, that anticipation, also and increasing is our disappointment over those who may walk away. That disappointment could only get stronger. 
My experience is watching somebody's walked away from the faith is it generally does, somebody doesn't just suddenly fall away from the Christian faith. Their faith and zeal for God tends to erode over a period of time. The pattern is usually like one of these scenarios. And I have about three scenarios, so bear with me as I kind of track through a, a scenario. The first one is someone who's had a horrible experience in church. Someone, some experience where someone offended them or hurt them very deeply, and they could hardly believe that another follower of Christ, somebody who says they're a Christian, how could a person like that even act that way toward me? And so they get so offended that they just leave the church. I don't think that is so bad as long as they don't leave the faith. See, there's a difference, I think, between leaving the church and leaving the Christian faith altogether. But a person gets offended, they get hurt, they leave the church. Uh, if they find another life-giving, Bible-believing church and they get involved, I think they'll be fine. But what about another scenario? Uh, a person just doesn't like attending the church they've been part of. Maybe they don't like the new music. Maybe they don't like this evil instrument over here. Like years ago, people used to say, the drum, you know. Maybe that just offended them and they just said, I can't be a part of this church anymore. It's gone the way of the world. The changes are happening around here and they don't like the changes. So they decide that this isn't going to be their church anymore. And they just start, first they start attending less and less and they start not attending to any life group. They don't serve God on any ministry team anymore. They start reorienting their schedule around activities that are not related to church or the Christian faith. They get out of the habit of attending church, but they feel okay about it because they'll say something like, well, you know, you don't really have to go to church to be a Christian, right? You can be a Christian without being part of a local church, and eventually a person like that just becomes one of the millions and this is the saddest part about our country in U.S. of A today. One of the millions of people now in America who profess to be followers of Jesus, but who do not go to church. Unfortunately, this is happening more and more with our millennial generation of 18 to 37-year-olds in America. And in our culture, you can find lots of places where somebody... You know, that you hear them say this, well, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm just not religious. How you can believe in a God uh, of grace who makes no moral obligations on anyone. Their God is sort of just this, quote, moral therapeutic deity. This God who exists out there, he's there whenever you need him. He's there to comfort you, to support you. He's there to, to uh, be with you in your moments of loneliness. But it, he's a God, a deity who makes no moral demands on anyone. They don't even talk about sin anymore. They talk about slip-ups. They talk about, oh, maybe it was an error in judgment. Or maybe it was a mistake Instead of a willful disobedience or instead of a just active or passive rebellion to what God has clearly commanded us to do in the Bible. Now, that's a dangerous group to be in from the Bible's perspective. You know, when, 
you know, when you talk about people who've fallen away from the faith, one of the things I think of is how do you keep from falling away in the faith? And what I've found is that the best, the strongest Christ followers are most often the people who do the following activities. Number one, they're the people who attend church faithfully. Number two, they are the people who give offerings regularly. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. They're the people who participate in a life group, where they do life together with other believers, whether it's a men's group or a women's group or a couple's group, or it's a, you know, I know there's a wonderful group of ladies. Surely you're part of a group of ladies on Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Wonderful group uh, of ladies. They, they actively, they get together. They build each other up in the faith. They study God's word together. They pray for one another. They share burdens of life with one another. They walk through life together. I've seen life groups where when one person in the group moves, every person in the life group comes that day to help them move. It's, a, it's amazing. They do life together. When a person is involved in a group like that, their faith is going to remain stronger. And then finally, the best, strongest Christ followers are, are those who serve others in some way. They volunteer to meet needs and be the hands and feet of Jesus. I found that these kinds of people are solid in their faith. They're active in their faith. They can defend their faith respectfully. But there's another group, and this is a dark scenario. This is one that is far more serious. This is, this is what I put Bart Campolo in this particular category. Another dark scenario that is far more serious for a person who loses heart and leaves the church. It could be somebody that used to be in the church, but their doubts about God and the faith have crept in. They haven't talked with anybody about their doubts. In other words, they're, they're not really trying to get answers to their doubts. They're just saying, you know what? I'm doubting and I'm questioning and I don't want to talk to anybody about it. I'm just going to be living and marinating in these, in these doubts. They start missing church more and more. They stop reading their Bible. They start listening to and reading literature or programs from unbelievers who are attacking the Christian faith. They're not getting answers. They're not even seeking answers anymore. They become agnostics. They become atheists who attack the Bible, attack the church, and attack the teachings of Christianity. A person can read these anti-Christian articles or books. They don't read them with any filter at all because they don't talk anymore to strong, Bible-literate Christ followers who can give them an answer to their doubts. They start believing all the non-Christian opinions. They stop confessing their sins to God. They look for ways to attack the church, and eventually they completely walk away from the Christian faith. Now, what are they walking away from what is it that they really don't believe or trust anymore? I want to I be clear on that. What are they really walking away from? Well, what is the big story of the Bible? When we started this series in January, we talked about, you know, don't all religions lead to God? And I wanted to explain just in a summary form, what is the big story of the Bible so that we could know what are, what are the, the, the nuts and bolts of our Christian faith? What is it that we believe when you talk about the big story of the Bible, you've got to talk about four steps. The first step in the big story of the Bible is creation, how things began. 
What are our origins? And the Bible's very clear on what are our origins. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created mankind, male and female. God created mankind in his image. In other words, we are distinct from the rest of the animal kingdom. We are not just, you know, goo to zoo to you, right? When it, come, when it comes to that. We are, we are uh, separate, created in the image of God. So the Bible's clear when it comes to creation. And then the second step of the big story of the Bible is there's this massive negative bad thing that happened. It's called the fall. And it's why this world has gone wrong. It's gone wrong because man decided that he didn't want God to be in authority over him. Man decided that he would be his own God, that he would be his own boss. And the, and the world has gone wrong ever since. There's a massive fallout in this world from the fall. And when we look around and we say, what are, what is so, you know, there's some great things about what's going on in the world today. There's some nice things. I see goodness, but I also see this terrible evil, this abuse, this suffering, uh, this hatred going on. Why is the world the way it is? And the fall is one of the reasons. Then the, the, the next step is what God decided to do about it. God decided, you know, you, you didn't want heaven without us. We just sang in that song, right? God didn't want heaven without us, so he sent heaven down in the form of Jesus, and Jesus accomplished our redemption. Jesus is the solution. This is how God fixed it, fixed the problems in our world, fixed our problems through Jesus Christ. So we have redemption. That word literally means to buy someone who is in slavery, to buy their freedom out of slavery. So we have redemption in Christ. And then finally, what's God going to do when history is all said and done? He's going to have what we call the restoration. This will be what the world will look like once God's repair fully takes place. So there's the big story of the Bible. Creation, the fall, redemption in Jesus Christ, and restoration. Now, uh, the problem is uh, the people that start attacking the Christian faith is they start focusing on the first two parts of that story. They start attacking mostly the first two parts of that story. They don't really go after Jesus too much except to deny that he is the divine son of God. They attack the idea about creation and they attack the fall. They try to say that God didn't create everything, that God didn't certainly did not create man in his image distinct from the other animals. Uh, these critics also attack the fall. They attack the idea that man rebelled against God's authority and broke the good relationship that he had with God. They pretty much try to say that mankind is basically good instead of a mixture of good and evil. They try and minimize the idea of sin. They try to minimize this idea of sin separates us from a holy God. And they try to minimize the consequences of sin before a holy, righteous, morally perfect God. You know, when we look out in 21st century America today, we see how devolved overall we are in our Christian faith. You know, we might think, you know, oh, the 21st century, you know, you know so we're going to, somebody said, we're going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if God doesn't judge us, right? I've heard that saying, uh, we may think in the 21st century that we're the only generation whose faith has ebbed, has declined. We're the only generation whose people decided that church involvement was no longer important. Well, check this out. In the very beginning of the church, before the end of the first generation of believers, 
There was an author that came along, and he wrote to a group of Christians who were in danger of falling away from the faith. He wrote to a group of Christians who were considering leaving the Christian faith and going back to their old way of life. This was the author of Hebrews. I think that's why God raised up this author of Hebrews in the New Testament. They, this author is to remind those who are weakening in their faith to repent, to turn back to God and to his family. The, these uh, first-generation Christ followers, they were in danger. They were in danger of turning away from simple faith in Christ. So let's see what the author of Hebrews has to say. We're just going to walk through a few verses in the progression of Hebrews. First one is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. The author says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. And then he says this, How shall we escape? It's kind of a rhetorical question. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? You can't overlook or discount what Jesus has done for us. When he died on, for our sins on the cross, it's the whole reason that we have any forgiveness at all. It's the whole reason why we are saved. So how can you ignore such a great salvation? He goes on in chapter 3. We go to the next verse. And the author says today, and he's quoting from, I believe it's Psalm chapter 95 in the Old Testament, talking about the God's people, the Jewish people in the wilderness, their, their unbelieving hearts, and how for those 40 years they kept in their unbelief. And God was trying to reach out for them, to them, who were dying in the desert. And God was saying to them, today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. This author is serious when he's writing to these people. Don't fail to commit your life to Jesus. Keep clinging to him. Do not turn away from trusting the very thing that saves you and that gives you eternal life. Finally, you get down to Hebrews chapter 10. There's a lot of other doctrine in there in between 3 and chapter 10. But when you get down to chapter 10, finally the, the author says, okay, now what are we supposed to do now that we know Jesus is the only way to God? Now that we know Jesus is our great high priest who once for all has made himself the sacrifice for sin so that we can draw near to God in faith. He says, to, he says these words, to the, to the listeners. He says, let us hold unswervingly, which means you don't turn away from it. You don't turn to the right. You don't turn to the left. You do not swerve. Let's not be a church that's always swerving. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, how do you hang on to your faith? You hold on to the hope that you profess with other believers around you so that you can encourage them and so that they can encourage you. That's what it means, I think, when it says spur one another on. You know, sometimes I wouldn't want to be a horse 
When, someone, when you get spurred on, right? Somebody, when that rider digs the spurs into the side of the horse, the horse is like, yo, yo. And some, sometimes in the body of Christ, that's actually a good thing. Because sometimes we are, we are going astray. We are, we are moving in the wrong direction from, from following Christ the way we should. And another believer comes along and gives us a word. Maybe it's a rebuke. Maybe it's a correction. Maybe it's an admonishing, a warning. But it's like spurring us on. Or maybe it's just a word of encouraging, encouragement. You are going in the right direction. I see great things in you. Keep doing that. Um, God is using you in, in, in great ways. We need those kinds of words of encouragement in the church. And then it says this, and do not stop meeting together. I know it's like I say these words in the, and you guys are all in the church today and it's like, yeah, I'm preaching to the choir, right? Do not stop meeting together. You keep attending church every week. You don't bail out. You don't find something else to do. You don't let the critics and the skeptics pull you away. You stay in God's community. You stay within the body of Christ and you strengthen your faith and you strengthen the faith of other people when you hang in there, Amen. We are here today, we are strengthening each other in the faith. Because look what the warning says after this. And by the way, if you want to read a sobering passage of Scripture, I invite you to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to like chapter 32 or 33. It says these words in verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. That's a sobering scripture. They know then what God, th this, is, this is what the author is saying to these, to these believers who are considering leaving the Christian faith and going back to their old way of life. He says, they know then what God has done for them in Christ. If they revert to an attitude of rejection, if they uh, if they are disloyal in their faith in Christ, there remains for them no more sacrifice for sins. It says, I, I'm going to stop right there. I don't, I'm not going to read the next five verses in Hebrews 10, but I will tell you they are chilling, and I wouldn't wish those consequences on anybody. God is, just put it in a British understated way, God is not happy with someone who walks away from the Christian faith. You do not insult the spirit of grace the author says, and then expect a holy, awesome, living God to take it lightly. So what does the author say at the end? He says, don't be like those people who are considering falling away. If you're not to be that way, what way should we be like? He says, let's don't be like those people falling away. Let's be the good, faithful people who are commended when you get down to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39, where it says, but we... And I hope you include yourself in the we pronoun here. But we are not of those people who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. They will persevere in the faith. And when you and I persevere in the faith, the Bible promises us that God will reward us. Now, one of the questions is, because sometimes you read that Hebrews 10 and verse 26, and it says, if we keep on sinning, there's no more sacrifice for sin. And somebody says, oh, I got this sin problem in my life, and there's a habit that I, I've been trying to give up for years, but I can't give up this habit. And if I don't, if I don't overcome that habit before I die, am I going to miss out on heaven? That's not what this verse is talking about. 
This verse is talking about turning away from faith in Christ, turning away from trusting in Jesus as the only way to save us. Um, I remember being in Chile 25 years ago. I remember being down in Viña del Mar, and there was a pastor who actually talked about losing your salvation based, and, and his theology was, uh, there was a Christian who could lose his or her salvation based upon whatever they were doing in the moment that Jesus returned. And he, and he gave this story. He says, well, the Christian uh, is walking down the, in the city of Valparaiso, which is a major city on the coast in Chile, and they see a movie theater, and it's playing a really uh, sensual, worldly movie, and the, and the Christian succumbs to temptation and goes in and, and pays for the movie ticket and sits down and starts watching the movie. And somewhere during the movie, the Lord Jesus returns. And he asks the question, what will God do with that person. And it was his theology that God was going to exclude them from heaven based upon where they were in that mo one moment in time. I, th I believe, friends, and I argued a little bit with him. He was an older pastor and pretty set in his ways. And it's like, uh, I don't know how far we're going to get in this conversation. But I did not agree at all with his theology. I don't, think, I don't think our salvation is based upon one moment of time in our Christian life. I think it's based upon our, a lifetime of habitual track record of what we believe, what we say we believe, what we tell to others what we believe, and how we act uh, according to our faith. I believe that our salvation is a lot more secure than what we believe. Um, so you ask that related question, well then, how secure is our salvation? Are we in God's kingdom one day, depending on our behavior, and if we have bad behavior the next day, are we out of God's kingdom? You know, we're in the circle one day, you know, Sunday, I'm in the circle again. I've prayed, I've confessed, I'm worshiping, I'm in the circle of God's family, but uh-oh, Monday, Tuesday comes along, maybe I won't be in God's family anymore. You know, that I, I want to give you a little more assurance, a little more peace on that, because uh, God has the ability to hold those to himself, those who are his, those who have trusted in his son, Jesus. Jesus says these words in John's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 29. He talks about us, him being the good shepherd and us being his sheep, his pasture, his flock. He says, my sheep recognize my voice. I know them and they follow me. Are you following Jesus? Then you're in his family. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them away from me. That's what we just sang about in that song. Will life or death or anything be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And the answer is no, absolutely not. No one will snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and He is more powerful than anyone else. So someone or something is going to try to snatch you away, pull you away from Jesus, pull you away from the Christian faith. You draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. And Jesus says he has the power. He's more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch you away from him. Just keep your faith in Jesus. Now, Jesus also warns us as his followers not to listen to, not to pay attention to those who would try to redefine the Christian faith. He says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but who really are vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. 
That is, by the way they act. A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So you look at the way somebody lives. Are they growing in Christ-likeness? Are they developing more and more of what we call the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life? Are they more loving? Are they more joyful? Do they have peace? Are they being a little more patient than they were before? There was a, a pastor named Kenneth Ulmer. I was just listening to a Devo this week, and he talked about growing in the Christian faith and said, you know, I'm growing as a Christian, but I'm not perfect. When I was a young man, if I got upset with you, I would cuss you out at the drop of a hat. Now, it just takes me a while to get worked up. <laughs> so he was talking about this process of growing as, as a believer. But he says, I'm not there yet, but I'm more like Jesus now than I was way back then. That's the kind of self-evaluation that I think we should do and not listen to false prophets. Check out the way that they live. If they don't exhibit the Christ-likeness, that's one sign they do not have the truth. So... Here's another uh, a verse that I want to give you comfort about God's ability to save us, God's ability to hold us in his family. Not that we're, you know, oh, I, I really felt saved, you know, at a certain time in my life. Now I'm not so sure. You know, God is, is our, our salvation is way more secure I, than many of us believe. Look what it says in Jude in the second to the last book in the Bible, Jude chapter 24 and verse 25. In fact, Lisa's church where she grew up at a, at a church in Sacramento, the pastor used to close with this as a benediction every single Sunday. He used to say, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Notice the capital H into him. That means that don't rely on yourself to keep you from falling. Don't rely on anyone else except the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. To him who's able to keep you from falling to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Paul can certainly get a lot of words into one sentence, can he? Anyway, that, that God is the one that keeps us from, from falling away. He is the one that's holding us in his hand. He is the one that's not going to allow anyone to snatch us away because we are his sheep and through faith in Christ, we belong to him. Now, another question that comes along is somebody says, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I know people that do, but uh, the Bible talks about this unpardonable sin or the sin that God will not forgive? Have I committed the unpardonable sin? A have I done something that is going to exclude me from the kingdom of God? Am I going to, have I fallen away to that point where I'll never be able to come back because I've committed this certain sin? Does anybody know what the unpardonable sin is? And a lot of Christians will say, yeah, I certainly do. It it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And somebody says, great. What's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Uh, hmm. Well, when you go to Mark's gospel, chapter three, 
And he talks about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which means insulting, which means uh, offending to such a degree that the Holy Spirit says that he will not forgive you anymore. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in the context of Mark chapter 3? Jesus is doing healing. Jesus is casting out demons. Jesus is freeing people from their chains and from their oppression. Jesus is bringing people into the kingdom of God uh, by preaching the good news. He's doing all of these things. And the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisee says, well, you know, the reason that Jesus is able to do all those things and cast out demons is he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out demons. And Jesus says in reply to that in Mark chapter 3, he says, I assure you that any sin can be forgiven, including blasphemy. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never be forgiven. It's an eternal sin. Look what he says right here. He told them this because they were saying that Jesus, that he had an evil spirit. Saying that Jesus, for, for all the great things that Jesus did, for all the miracles he performed, saying that the power behind the ability of Jesus to do all those miracles didn't come from God, saying that it actually came from Satan, that's the unpardonable sin. And I don't know too many people that have ever committed that. I don't think they have. So there's something that can give us some assurance. Now, how about us? This, I want to close with this because we have a responsibility. And maybe you know somebody. Maybe you have a family member, a son or a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, a nephew, a niece, that you know that somebody who used to profess strong faith in Christ, somebody maybe who used to be active in God's church, and now they're, they're nowhere to be found, and now they do not profess any faith at all. What is the responsibility that you and I as believers have towards somebody like that? James makes it very clear, the book right after Hebrews, the book of James, and right before he closes, he says these important words. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone could be you, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Wow, what a tremendous promise that is. That you and I could go on a rescue mission, not just a rescue mission of trying to uh, speak the gospel to somebody who's never heard the message of salvation in Christ, but to actually go after somebody who's wandered away from the truth, who's, who are praying for them, who are speaking words of life to them, who are trying to urge them to turn around from the errors of their ways. And I know for some of you, you may say, Jim, I've been trying to do this for years. It's frustrating. I get a wall. I, you know, we start a conversation and they just put up a wall. They're not listening to me anymore. Well, you know what else you can do besides praying for them? And I don't mean to take prayer lightly, but you can be praying for them is, is in your prayers is pray that if they won't listen to you, that God will bring another Christ follower across their path, somebody that they will listen to. And maybe that person can open their eyes. Look what it says in Galatians. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, and, and of course there's all kinds of sin, 
But in the context I'm talking about, the sin of unbelief, the sin of walking away from the church, walking away from faith in Christ. You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful that you do not fall into the same temptation. So don't start buying what they're selling you. You try to reach out to them gently, humbly, and try to restore them to the, to the Christian faith. That's what God wants us to do. You know, the good news about Christ, the good news about God is that he loves the person even more than you and I love them. He is actively seeking and saving the lost, like Jesus said. He is the one who goes after the prodigal. He is the one who is trying to reach the person who is wayward and has gone a, a different direction from God. There's, the good news is that there's always still hope for the one who strays. Luke 15 talks about the parable of the prodigal son. This is, the, this is that young man, the younger son, who had everything, grew up in a great home, grew up in a loving family, and he decided that he wanted to get away from it all. So disrespectfully, he asks his father, as if his father's already died and his estate would be divided between his two sons, he says, give me my share of the inheritance. And the, and the, the son, uh, gather, the, the father gives it to him, the father does not. Uh, refuse that. He gives this to him, son. He allows him to make this free choice. The son takes the money, gathers it all together, goes away from the home, goes off to a far off land and squanders his entire inheritance in riotous, wild living. And finally, the son, um, the Bible says that in a time of suffering, in a time of need, he thinks back to what life used to be like when he was in his father's family, and the Bible says he came to his senses. Do you know that's what I pray when I know that somebody has fallen away from the faith? I say, God, help them to come to their senses. You know, pray scripture over them. Help them to come to their senses because this young man came to his senses and he turned back and he came home to the father. And when he came home to the father, the father wasn't like this. He didn't have his arms crossed and a grim face and said, you're going to have to do a lot of things to get back into my good graces. Or you think I'm going to bring you back into this family? You think again. No, it says the father saw him from afar off. He, he got down off the porch of the house. He went running to his son. He embraced his son. He said, let's have a celebration because my son has come home. And the older brother didn't like the news and he goes out and he pouts. And the father says to the, he says, he says, your brother was dead, but now he's alive again. Your brother was lost, but now he's found. That's the attitude of the father, that he's always waiting for the wayward son to come home. The father is waiting and looking and longing for that wayward person to come home. And when that person does, there will be a great celebration. There won't be any more judgment or condemnation. There's just going to be a grand party because the son who was lost is now found again. Let's pray together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to remind you that the beauty, the beauty of the gospel message is that all it takes to turn back to God is just one simple step of repentance. 
God is ready to forgive his children who turn back to him at the drop of a hat. All it takes for you or for anyone who strayed away is to get back on the right path with God through repentance. It's a change of your mind. It leads to a change in your heart. And you find your way back to God. And when you do that, our Heavenly Father promises that He's waiting for you and He's going to welcome you back. And as that song says, Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you are so patient with me. How you love those, even those who have gone astray, because you are a great shepherd. And Lord, over all these months and years, you've allowed me to ask questions, to doubt. You've let me rant and complain and criticize. And yet you're so gracious to let my doubts run their course and wait until I come to my senses and to invite me to come back home. And today, Lord, I turn back to you in faith. Lord, I believe that you gave your life for me when you died on the cross. I trust in you as I never have as deeply before. I trust in you to save me from all my sins. I recognize that that this church is an imperfect organization, but you call it your body. You call it your family, and you are the head. You are the leader of this church. So, Lord, help me to follow you more faithfully, more nearly. Help me to represent you better here on this earth. And, Lord, for those people that we can think of in our lives, those loved ones, family members, friends that we care about so deeply that have yet to turn back to you. God, we ask you to speak to them deep in their hearts. God, show them the truth of who you are, how much you still love them. Help them to come to their senses like the prodigal son did. Remind them how empty their life is without you. And how they're missing out on not participating in the life that you designed for us all. Lord, bring people into their lives. Bring messages across their path each week to show them the error of their ways. To show them the path that they're on needs to change. And God, give us as people who follow you and who are in your family, Lord, give us an extra measure of grace to keep on loving them no matter what. No matter what they say, no matter what they criticize or attack or do, help us to continue to love them as you do. Bring them, Lord, to a healthy, full repentance, we ask, and strengthen us so that we'll never give up on trying to reach them. Bless them and bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.